This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, a very good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, the 20th of April. I'm Philip C. And in the studio with me today is the magisterial Wong Shaoning. <laughs> oh my goodness, Philip. I've never... Those two... Those, my name and that word, never together. <laughs> never. This is the first time ever. Well, enough about you and the marvellous <laughs> By the way, Tan call Chen me Lee. Queen wow. after that. Queen, okay. yes. Queen. This is... And you're, 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 you're soaking with royalty. That's did you watch why. The Crown over Netflix? I Is that did. why you're, you're inspired? <laughs> well, you know, I think many of us did do our Netflix binge because yesterday was a holiday and wasn't that great. I think what we need to do is mandate that every Tuesday or perhaps Wednesday is alternated as a public holiday. Yes, yes. I agree. <laughs> Can some political party put that in their mandate, please? I think if they, if they had that in the coming GE50 manifesto, <laughs> they've got my vote for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, enough about all this challenge childish discussions and nonsense about public holidays because we know that's never going to happen because this coming up, we have scintillating conversations, don't we have, ladies? At 7.15, we discuss the legal issues in the tragic Basika Lajak case with lawyer Beatrice Chin. And at 7.30, we will talk about Singapore Prime Minister-in-waiting Lawrence Wong and how he might shape the future policy direction of the island state with Dr. Michael Barr from Flinders University. Oh, can he hang on? Well, you know, so this is the question in my mind with Hing Sui Kat. You know, he didn't really... He, oh, you know, he of the East Coast plan. He of the East, East Coast. Coast plan. East Coast plan, East Coast plan. Yes. Sorry, that was said with purpose, by the way. I know, I know. So I think it's very interesting, you know, but Lawrence Wong, if you look at his CV, impeccable CV, I have to say. His experience has really got the breadth and depth. Yeah, but he didn't come from an Ivy League university until his final master's, I believe. So he's slightly different from all the other prime really, ministers. Really, Ivy League universities matter, <laughs> shall we? No, in Singapore, they clearly do, don't they? <laughs> but we have something also at 7.45, don't we? We do. We're going to be talking about the price-setting mechanism for local airfares and measures to mitigate what has been reported a lot in the papers with the sudden rise of mm. fares, especially to Sabah and Sarawak for the Raya holidays. And we're going to be talking to Nigel Wong of Mata about it. Yeah, we've had so many conversations and debates and I think the government had des- has definitely weighed in on this. So I think that conversation you do want to miss with much more. All this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was changed by the war on drugs. This is The Morning Run. I'm Philip C and I'm here together with Wong Shaoning and Tan Chen Li. So let's get to the first story of of the day. And I wonder if you were like me and you were Netflix binging throughout the holiday yesterday. <laughs> and I came across this show you recommended, you know, yeah, uh, Monday see. night. Old enough. <laughs> yeah, at about what, 6 or 6 30, I sent out this WhatsApp to your guys. Please watch this. Uh, it's perfect for like a Monday evening. Exactly. And okay, just some context, right? It's for those who don't know, it's a Japanese series. Each episode is maybe what, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Short. And it Features and adorable. They're all adorable. Super, Super adorable. Super adorable. And they range from what? Two to maybe five-year-old kids. That's right. Uh, t- children doing s- errands. And these errands aren't simple errands, you know. They're quite challenging errands, which even I think I might fail. For example, like going shopping and buying three items, I, I think I might come back with one Oh, only. for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't even, I don't even remember that I was supposed to run an errand in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing I noticed is that um, the kids tend to live in quite a, um, rural community. Mm. They're not urban-based. And this series was taped quite some time ago, I think 2003. It's not a new series. So some background to this. And it sparked a discussion, not just among us in the morning run, but a global discussion. Because if you watch this series, you're extremely fascinated by these children who look so stoic 
and so disciplined and driven to complete the task that they yes. are given. Yes, I, I found it very uh, uh I found it arresting. I found it wonderful and also motivated, but also very disturbed, right? My heart stopped, uh, you know, many times when the kid was trying to cross the road. And these are two to four-year-old kids, right? Uh, and also, for me, disturbed as well, because I cannot imagine seeing my three to four-year-old nephew going to pick cabbage at 8 p.m. at night and then <laughs> all coming, alone. Coming I think that home. might be 6 p.m. <laughs> coming home with the cabbage, by the way, and the onions and the strawberries yes. and some, I think, seaweed. Absolutely, and so for me that I think worried me, and I and and of course the question then was, could we see this happen in Malaysia? And of course the answer oh, was definitely not. Yeah, definitely not in Malaysia. But in Japan, I think it's a different context because uh, the I think they are relatively safer there, and uh, and it's also in the culture that they let their kids go to school uh, on their own very mm. early on. Yeah. Over here, even when the kid get to uh, secondary school, I'm sure they're still being okay. chauffeured. Let's take the safety element out of this, okay? Because if we, if we did, would we as uh, Malaysians still allow children to do this as a cultural thing? And I mm. wonder if we look back at it, why do Japanese do this? It's also this building into them this very stoic, disciplined approach mm. to life, right? The Japanese mm. are so known to work as one co- co- cohesive society. They abide by the rules. They are known to be extremely disciplined. After all, the salary man can work to 11pm and you know if he can't get home, he'll just sleep in the capsule hotel and then he'll be back at work at 7am. It's not that we advocate this kind of lifestyle. But when I look at how the children are brought up, I can understand why then society is the way it is. Yes, I mean for me, you have to look after yourself and mm. be independent and only can you contribute effectively to society. Why people love going to Japan and I've had many friends who say, oh, I want to take a holiday to Japan. Me, 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 because me. it's like I'm them for sure. I've entered civilization because yeah. it's so orderly, it's so yeah. well thought through and planned out. People are so polite. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a function of you needing to first take care of yourself, be independent, and then only you can contribute. Why is it that this show can't take place in Japan? It's because society makes it possible that when she, when these small children go and do errands, they are all willing to help the girl, mm. right? When she tries to cross the road, or he, the boy tries to cross the road, the flag, everybody stops. Society makes this happen. So it's a self-perpetuating cycle that makes this work. Yeah, I think also it's about respect um, because mm. if you need to, it's all about respecting each other and also between the family. So I think the parents are also respecting the, the children yeah. here by saying that I respect you and I trust that you can complete the task and therefore I let you go and do the task. And this struck me as well because with respect also comes the removal of fear. And you know, Xiaoning, we were talking about earlier this case where there was a cameraman right that followed and how this four-year-old girl was, in, you know, inquiring and talking mm. to the cameraman, mm-hmm. who's a 60-year-old man, you know. And in, in Malaysia's side, if that happened, it would be like, <gasps> shock horror, you know, he's going to basically <laughs> abduct her. But stranger, this, stranger. stranger. But there was no fear at all. There was a proper conversation like adults taking place. Like, why are you here? What are you doing? It was wonderful. But, you know, it, it, it reminded me that, oh, our society in Malaysia has a long way to go. I think also, I mean, f- to be fair... Um, in Malaysia, we are fearful for good reason. It's not like there's no crime. Um, you try, as a, even as a doubt, even here in Tamantun, good luck trying mm. to cross the road at the zebra crossing. The cars just ignore you completely and utterly. So imagine a four-year-old child as a parent. You're never going to let that four-year-old child cross the road here, right? So there's so many things have to change before we actually can embark on this 
society where we allow four, five-year-olds to do errands. And what is sad is that we can't. We haven't reached that stage. We haven't. I mean, and I, I don't know whether we ever will. Because when I was younger, and yeah. you all know that was a long time ago, <laughs> I was let out of the house a lot more than I see what kids are today. So at seven, eight years old, I was free to cycle around my neighbourhood. But that doesn't exist anymore. Well, think about it, right? As we start school reopenings, how many of the parents here are willing to let out their children take public transport or even public bus? they rather send the kids off to school and drop them off. So what does it say about Malaysian society and the safety then? But I also think that parents these days are getting more and more overly protective of their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what's the cause of this. It could be maybe the peers are doing it and that's why they're all doing this the same, uh, doing the same as well. But I think overprotection is not good sometimes. It's for a response the... to a desire for control because they exactly. feel that the environment they're in is not within their control mm. and that's what's driving fear. Now, I think this is conversation will go on and on yes. about how we and society can create a safe environment. But we're heading into a quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing space and beyond. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Strawberry Fields Forever by The Beatles. It's 6.20 in the morning. You're tuned in to The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and I'm in the wonderful company of Wong Xiaoning and Tan Chen Li. You know, early on we had a conversation about children and staying on childlike endeavours. One can't go much further than space, can it? Mm, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> well, I think this next article really is about the fight between Amazon and Tesla and, and, and I think Best Starlink sense. and Elon yeah. as Amazon is trying to take uh, the space fight right into space internet and so you know when we talk about children honestly sometimes the behavior of these billionaires is very much childlike is it not <laughs> that's it's, true it's a fight of the ego but just on a billion dollar scale that's on a all. billion dollar scale my bicycle is bigger than your bicycle <laughs> or my car is bigger than your car so now it's my spaceship is bigger than your spaceship i have more satellites than you have more <laughs> <Yeah>. satellites <laughs> Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, so okay. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're still the same. It's still childish. So perhaps, you know, they need to watch that Netflix show. And this is, I think, the interesting uh, project that Amazon is taking on, Project Kuiper, which is the plan to launch a dozen of satellites, so I think up to 3,000 satellites, to offer satellite broadband to consumers on Earth. Now, of course, we know the big competitor here is Elon Musk. So, ladies, what do you think? Do you think Amazon has a shot at giving Elon a run for his money? Project Kuiper, right. Uh, I am not really sure if they can because they haven't launched any spaceship so far. And I mean, if you compare with SpaceX, they have already put men uh, into orbit, mm. whereas Amazon is still pretty infant, right? I mean, with the with the Project Kuiper. Well, they had the Blue Origin earlier, where, but that's also not materialized yet. Exactly. So, I mean, I think they're still not there yet, if you were to compare. But, uh, but of course, when it comes to satellite uh, internet, there's also a lot of a lot of things that they have to uh, overcome in terms mm. of, you know, um, we have a string of issues that they have regulatory or, you know, subscribers. Well, it won't be easy. I think it's also the broader question whether there is a market for such kind of product, isn't it? Because as we were talking about early on, we have fiber, we have 5G being rolled out here. Yeah, do we really need this kind of technology? Yes. And even if we did, the people who need it. So, okay, let's let's give some context, right? So, they're going to launch all these satellites into space. What is the purpose? The purpose is so that, you know, uh, everyone can achieve super high-speed internet connectivity, right? And using these satellites to do so. Now, if you look at the World Wide Web, the people that don't have access to high-speed internet are basically people who are in not very convenient locations. Rural. Or 
perhaps they don't have the money, you mm. know, the, the income to actually sign up for a good internet service. So, okay, fine, if you're in some rural area and you're well off, you, you might pay for this service. Yeah, good, good for me. But for a lot of different communities where there is no internet infrastructure, uh, in the first place, there is no internet infrastructure because there is no development. Yes. And that is likely that they don't have such high incomes. So for the people that desperately need high, who need this connectivity, they can't afford it in the first place. So I'm just wondering what, what is the market for it? I mean, you talk about the market economics. Uh, you know, Facebook did try to do something. They had a plane called Aquila, which was basically solar-powered drones. Even Google had Project Loon, which was to try and deliver high-speed internet using helium balloons. So you're right. I think there's a big question whether there's a market here. But for me, when I contrast both businesses, right, what Jeff Bezos wants to do and what Elon wants to do, I find with Elon, I think this whole synergy is really about getting economies of scale for his launches. That if he can basically get the economics down right, he could actually make space travel more feasible. So I wonder whether for him, this whole satellite broadband is part of a pathway towards the bigger picture. Whereas I, in this case here for Jeff, with Amazon, with AWS, whether this whole des- desire to basically try to get that equivalent last mile is intended to drive synergies with other parts of his business, which is currently doing pretty well, like his AWS business and also his e-commerce business. I- I'm not sure whether this is really his aim at all because you know I was watching Return to Space on Netflix uh, and it seems like he's so geared or goal towards putting men on Mars so this this internet service that you know uh, to make to make better uh, available services or faster internet services to the world uh, may not seem to be a priority to him maybe to Jeff Bezos but maybe not to Elon Musk yeah so that's where I feel there is a bit more of a stronger case isn't it for Amazon doing this versus what Elon does um, so I, I just wonder out loud how do we do this right and I mean Elon's got a lot on his plate yeah, <laughs> we've seen right. in the past few weeks he's uh, got his uh, whole just hands just Twitter to that just right? on Twitter and I, you know very interesting with this story also you see so much Twitter banter uh, led by Elon uh, Sometimes quite infantile, don't you think so? Yes, I think he did uh, kind of uh, do a kind of a jab at Amazon's uh, Bezos because they didn't manage to launch any satellites, and he yes. was like, "Oh, you didn't get to get it, get it up, or something like that." Yeah. Which Jeff Bezos didn't reply. He didn't reply. So I think the one that's really doing a lot of digging is, of course, uh, Elon Musk. He loves it, loves it. Well, I think this comes back to the story of what what is the whole point of Elon in the end, right? He's got what so motivates what him? motivates him, what drives his motivations, mm. and I think this conversation could last for twenty four hours. But I think we've run out of time here because as we head into the six thirty a.m. news bulletin, we'll be coming back and looking at the latest international headlines coming up. Silence so in the stream. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. That was Gone with the Wind. Is my love by Rita and the Tiaras. Rest assured, our love for you remains firmly intact. It's 6.40 in the morning, Wednesday the 20th of April. You're listening to The Morning Run with my lovely people Tan Chen Li and Wong Xiaoning and myself, <laughs> Philip C. I feel very loved this morning. <laughs> We're oozing love, aren't we? <laughs> On a Wednesday morning. Okay, go for it, Philip. Well, anyway, let's have a look at stories making international headlines this morning. Chen Li, what caught your eye? Well, it's about mass, not so much about love, which is in the US. Um, Passengers on airplanes, trains and other public transportation in the US don't have to wear masks anymore after a federal judge struck down the mandate. I think a lot of uh, other companies also follow suit. 
like Uber and Lyft also no longer ask their riders and drivers in the U.S. to wear masks. So um, apparently there's mixed response to this in the sure. U.S. There's some who think that is too extreme um, from a, a mandate to become a personal choice now. And is this really too early to implement because they have the threat of uh, another variant? And uh, and some people think that, yeah, it's good. You know, then that would encourage more people to travel and, and etc. <laughs> I think that's the issue in the United States. There's this whole heavy politicization of the healthcare system. And that's why in the end, when someone issues a guideline or such, it just creates so much ire. I think, I feel personally blessed that in Malaysia, although there's there is some criticism. It does. It doesn't hit to the extent where it becomes so heavily politicized, like what you see in the United States. Yeah, it's either like you're with us or you're not with us yeah. kind of argument all the time. Especially we saw that. I mean, even in the early days of COVID nineteen, and despite very high death rates, there were still segments of society very wedded to their beliefs that this is you know how dare you tell me what to do? This is my right. I have every freedom to do whatever I want, and that extended from masks to vaccinations. Um, polarized society for sure, uh, but I want to talk. I'm going to be the. I'm going to continue this Debbie Downer story that in, and that's the IMF. They have actually cut world growth uh, forecasts from. Uh, it will slow down to three point six percent this year, down from a forecast of four point four percent, which they actually had in January, and this is actually due to. The Ukraine war, very much so. Yes, I think it was not only re- Ukraine war, but as well China, isn't it? They saw, uh, they anticipated a slowdown in China because I think just two days ago, China did uh, release their GDP numbers uh, better than expected. Mm. But if you break and, you know, look at the details, I think there are worrying signs about consumer spending and confidence in China as well. Yeah, and not just the IMF, actually World Bank yesterday also released their forecast for the global economy to grow at 3.2% in comparison to their prediction of 4.1%. So so both IMF and World Bank are reducing their forecast of in terms of economic growth in the world. That's right. I think this is the debate now where, you know, what is very interesting is in the past emerging markets like China, India have always driven growth. But now we're seeing kind of the opposite happening here. But China, I think, is what we're looking out very carefully. Retail sales contracted 3.5% mm. in March. And I think that's the worrying sign here. Now, the other thing um, that is worrying is inflation. Okay, we talk about it all the time on, on this show and yes, it has repercussions for businesses, for policymakers. But the ones that feel it the most are actually the most vulnerable in society because food has become an issue. Mm. The prices of food have, food has already gone up. Prices of fuel has gone up incredibly. And that has stoked unrest that we have seen in places like Sri Lanka. Uh, pressure points also, pressure building up in places like Peru. So if this continues, what does this really mean actually for huge swaths of society that perhaps were trying to get into middle class, but now that that hope is dashed completely, right? Because cost is so high, even though we're and we're just coming out of COVID-19 pandemic. Economic recovery was in sight. And now this. I, I I mean, countries like Sri Lanka, you know, my heart goes out to them because also the structure of the economy is also not very service oriented. It's very tourism driven. So that makes it even harder if borders are still not fully reopened, right? We also had this conversation where inflation also seems to be not being trickled down to wage inflation. If you look at the United States, for example, we see inflation rates hits 8%, but wage inflation is only 5 to 6% mm. because of this anticipation that, you, you know, inflation will moderate down. But in the mean short term, there's so much pain taking place, isn't it? 
Yeah. And talking about the Ukraine war, right, there was a press conference just happened uh, before our show, actually, and the US will send more artillery to help Ukraine repel new Russian assault. And this is according to the Financial Times. As we see Mariupol under siege again, and looks like imminently the Russian forces will take over there. Chen Li, last story. Yes, and we were talking about uh, Russia, Ukraine, and also South Asia. Uh, Russia is seeking medical equipment from India as war disrupts trade. And of course, India welcomes this because they want to boost exports to Russia as the two nations work out a payment system in local currencies. Well, Russian ruble seems to have held. The question here is whether the barter trade of defence and also Russian oil can take uh, the swap with medical equipment. It's 6.45 in the morning and when we come back, we'll be looking at today's local headlines. Keep it here, BFM 89.0. That was Stomp by Brothers Johnson. I hope your children are not stomping as you try to cajole them back to school. Maybe they're stomping to do their errands. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously have my reservations about that. But perhaps I think as we see school return back, I can see a lot of tears flowing freely. Really? I think so. It's <laughs> was, it, was, was it, it a, happy to leave the house? <laughs> was that a reflection of your past, Philip? Memories, oh, memories? I loved school. Anyway, yes, like we, a normal geek would. <laughs> we digress. It's currently 6.51 in the morning. You're listening to The Morning Ride. And now we look at the latest news in Malaysia. Yeah, and I was looking at this article on uh, page 5 on the star that talks about early retirement among teachers, which is worrying the ministry because apparently 10,000 teachers have applied annually for early retirement. And they are usually aged between uh, 50s, early or mid-50s. And Mm. the reason quoted is because they feel that they are a little bit, uh, they are burdened with more teaching responsibilities and poor internet internet quality I, 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 it sounds like they are just tired and fatigued from yes. this pandemic I fully resonate with that just to share with you a personal experience because I also teach over the weekends in Sunday school and I see a lot of my fellow colleague teachers who are elderly who volunteer say I can't deal with digital classes I can't deal with online learning so I'm just not competent in doing this so let me just retire and resign Wow, that is happening quite often because the teachers feel they're just not equipped to provide education classes through online learning. So isn't this where MOE should really step up? Isn't this the gap? Well, this is where the capacity development has to take place. Whether yeah. that was provided adequately so throughout the pandemic we, we, is the question. You know, we, we spend a lot of time, a lot of money talking about all the hardware issues, right? But yet, very little conversation about giving the support mm. in terms of the soft skills required for teachers to move to transition, right? Otherwise, really, they'll be left behind. We talk about 5G, Internet of Things, AOT, whatever. You Most know, definitely. And this is really, really happening among uh, education providers. I think especially when jobs are so scarce, mm. where you see so much opportunities outside, you know, teachers and medical professionals mm. will say, I've gone through hell in the past two years. Why don't I just take on a new opportunity or role. But then it's such a shame, right? Because we're letting all these experienced exactly. teachers go. Truly yeah. a shame. Who pays the price? Classic frontliners here, aren't mm, we? Yes, yes. Okay, I've got this other very sad story. Uh, sorry, I'm Debbie a Debbie Downer, Downer again. Uh, this is, and I'm shocked. We're living in 2020, right? This is not the medieval ages. This is in the News Rates Times, page 7. Poverty forces brothers to share school uniform. So, in Kampong Malayu, there, there, is fa- there is a family, uh, two sons, who have to rotate the uniform between them because they just don't have enough money, which means that they don't go to school on the same day. 
Wow, that is shocking. In in I think in this day and age in our country, especially right where we think as a society, we try and provide for at least the basic yep. goods. These things happen still. Yes, that is very humbling. Yeah. So you go back to this five G Internet of Things. Autonomous vehicles, satellite broadband. Satellite broadband. You want to be an EV hub, but yet there are families like this family of uh, five. They live in a house with a leaky roof, and still don't have electricity supply. Very sobering. So as we charge towards developed state, uh, nation status, which we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We've got to make sure that everybody charges ahead and mm. no one is left behind. And that we don't see rising inequality coming through. I think just another slight digress to the story. I see also a question or a point being raised that a task force has been set up to mobilise to reduce congestion on the Johor Causeway, especially during the weekend. I think what we're seeing here is that as a result of borders reopening, that uh, flow of traffic between Singapore and Johor is coming through very fast, but we can't wait for the Johor Baru Rail Transport System RTS link, which is going to be completed by 2026. And uh, staying on the topic of Johor, this is interesting. Johor, and this is the Malay Mail, Johor is to use Singapore's Housing Development Board as a benchmark in the development of affordable homes. Interesting. I think I think there are many good lessons learned from Singapore. I hope they are able to localize and apply it. I think the one thing that they can learn is the maintenance of Singapore HDB. Ah yes. And the uh, policy of encouraging upgrades as people do better in life and also as the as the demographics of their family unit changes, right? Originally, maybe it's one kid, then you've got two kids and then mm. later you go into retirement. So the Housing Development Board allows for the change in your specific family. I see. So the dynamism, I hope, is imbued rather than just focus on just building a house for the sake of building a house. Yes, and staying on the topic of uh, SOPs being loosened, uh, so apparently wedding trends these days they're going for outdoor or garden wedding or a beach wedding because they wanted to keep it safe for their guests. And some of them are even uh, doing away with uh, fetching the bride ceremony and, and gate crashing games. I just hope they keep the ang paus. Yeah, that's all I care about, right? And just RSVP me if we know the ang paus are in the colour of purple. It's 6.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 7am news bulletin. When we come back, we'll be looking at how markets closed yesterday. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.